What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Martian Mini Montage. We're going to be talking Body Count 1986, Tetris 2023, April Fool's Day 1986, Godzilla vs. Megalon 1973, recent pickups, and that's pretty much it. <laughs> I will uh, be talking about Body Count, a slasher from 86, the new Tetris film, which I absolutely loved, April Fool's Day 86, which I also really, really like, and uh, Godzilla vs. Megalon, which it's, it's enjoyable in its own right. And as far as recent pickups, I uh, I picked up the Munsters on DVD at uh, Target. I had intentions of just getting, you know, a couple things I needed, like toothpaste and, you know, toothbrush and all that. And, and uh, yeah, I stumbled upon it. It was 20 bucks, And I was like, you know what? Sure, I'll pick it up. Why not? Uh, it has all 70 episodes. It's only two seasons. And I'm, like, looking at released. I don't see a release year on this. But it was distributed, obviously, by Universal because that's where they, you know, filmed it. And it's obviously in the back lot if you go to it in L.A. Super cool. Uh, bonus features, the uh, pilot episode. Um, all four uh, actors, you know, Fred Gwynn, Yvonne DiCarlo, Al Lewis. You know, they all uh, have their little um, segments in, within, like, a documentary. There's feature-length movies, The Monsters Go Home and The Monsters Revenge, which I think I already have those. But, I mean, why not? You know, 70 episodes for 20 bucks. It's the classic comedic you know uh horror tv show that you just can't replicate something like this and i'm happy to have it for 20 bucks why not and then i actually today i went to several different places a couple antique stores and thrift stores and even a retro video game store with the intention of uh returning some ps1 games that i have because i have them digitally i have uh raiden project and long box uh croc legend of the gobos which is kind of like uh, Spyro meets, I guess, Crash Bandicoot. And then I have a uh, Rayman two and I had a, a wireless Sega Genesis controller and the guy was only going to offer me like 25 bucks. I was like, well, alone Raiden project goes for 25 bucks. And I was like, no, I'm just not. So I ended up only picking up a, a, a Taco Bell, uh, pop my top earthworm gym, 1995 toy. It says UCS shiny on the bottom and made in China from uh Strotman uh, International never heard of it but uh I never see any earthworm gym toys like out in the wild like that and I you know it was like 6 bucks and then uh, the guy was you know at the store like oh it's a 25% off a uh, vendor or whatever so I think it was like $4 and like 80 cents and you know I've seen this thing go for like 15 20 online obviously I'm not going to sell it just a l little cool piece of plastic rubber that if you squeeze it, his head pops off and he has like a little fishing line on his head. Kind of cool. I mean, it's a little discolored, but I mean, for the most part, it's in good shape. Yeah, I thought it was pretty cool. I was like, Earthworm Jim, why not? Classic, classic game. They're both a lot of fun. I don't think I ever played the 64 version, but uh, as far as what I've been playing, uh, I beat Longest Five Minutes. Uh, it's a relatively quick RPG. I think I only died maybe twice, not uh, the entire... Um, four players within the RPG, but one of my guys died. And then once you, uh, beat a particular, uh, enemy or a boss or whatever, they come back and they only have, you know, one health and you just revive them, you know, or use, uh, the, uh, cleric, uh, clover to use her high, uh, life up, or you can use, um, flashback, the main protagonist. He also has healing magic. And it was, yeah, it was a decent little RPG for five bucks. I mean, why not? Super fast paced, easy to play. And I, I enjoyed it. Um, I also at work, I was walking and it was raining and I found <laughs> Call of Cthulhu on Switch just laying on the ground. I was like, no one saw this. I looked around. I was like, I'm keeping this. Sure. Why not? I uh, blew on it like an old NES cartridge and I plugged it in last night and it works just fine. 
uh, visually for Switch, it looks like it's actually pushing the uh, processor or the blast processing like to the max. I mean, it looks it doesn't look that bad. It looks like a 360 game. I just don't think Nintendo Switch has the same power, obviously, as like a PS4 or an Xbox One. They, I feel like they run better with like older type graphics, personally, in my perspective. I mean, especially when it comes to like uh, the dialogue, when they do close-ups of like their mouth moving, it just, it looks like an early like Xbox or 360 PS3 type. It just doesn't look that great. Um, but uh, yeah, it's like a horror detective kind of survival type game. I've liked it so far. I think I'm going to go back and I'm going to try and uh, beat or make, well, yeah, eventually beat, um, what is it? A uh, kingdom battle, the Mario versus Rabbids. I, uh, I keep telling myself, I'm like, I got to go back and play it. Otherwise I started playing undertale, which is basically like another kind of like mimicked earthbound, like longest five minutes. It's a weird kind of RPG. I only got maybe, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes into it. I, I don't really have too much to say on it yet, but, uh, from what I played, it was, it was okay. I'm sure my opinion will change, but, uh, that's what I've been playing. Those are my recent pickups. Those are the movies that I'm going to be talking to you guys about. Body Count, Tetris, April Fool's Day, and Godzilla. All right. A long, long intro, but here it is. Let's go. All right, guys. I'm going to talk to you guys about Body Count, 1986, rated R, an hour and 30 minutes, labeled as horror, mystery, and horror, yes. Uh, mystery, sure, why not? I mean, I guess the mystery is, like, why is the shaman going around, you know, killing innocent teenagers and there's really next to no motive or explanation, really. <laughs> a group of teens are uh, stalked and killed by a shaman at a cursed camping site, according to IMDb. I'll explain the uh, light plot with uh, Wikipedia here momentarily. Uh, on IMDb, it has a 4.8 out of 2,300 reviews. I believe it was 2,306, something like that. I just rounded down, made it a little easier on myself. Uh, personally, I'd give it at least like a five or a 5.2. It, it's, it's decent. It, visually, it's a little hard to see at times. Uh, the killer has next to no motive. Um, it's really not that gory compared to other slashers of the era. Nonetheless, I'm glad that I watched it. It's free on YouTube. I am somewhat of a, a horror completionist of weird, obscure ones that I've never heard of. And this was one of them. And I was like, you know what? Sure. I'll watch it. Uh, it stars Last on House on the left, uh, David Hess, as a cynical father in this film. Um, who, uh, I mean, I don't know if you guys care about spoilers, I'll tell you anyway. I mean, later on, you find out that he's the one who's wearing the uh, shaman mask, uh, you know, at the end when he gets gunned down by the sheriff, played by uh, Charles Napier. Um, I don't know if he was the shaman the entire time, because it pans 15 years before... And then, uh, so what, like 1971, 72, and then it goes to 1986, fast forward with uh, David Hess as the shaman. I don't know if he killed kids then and then killed them again 15 years later or what, but nonetheless, moving on. Uh, featuring also, as I just stated, uh, Charles Napier from Three Ninjas Knuckle Up, uh, who was also the villain in that film. Actually, he's not the villain in this. He's the uh, sheriff in this film, uh, basically uh, committing adultery with, uh, David Hess's wife, pretty much the entirety of the film. <laughs> um, I, I put him personally, uh, Charles Napier in the same category as Stacey Keach and like Tom Atkins. They basically set the standard for good, bad films and deserve more, uh, credit as, uh, actors in my opinion, I believe. Uh, directed by Ruggiero, uh, Deodato, known for Campbell Hoddle, uh, la, 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 fuck, can't speak English two and a half minutes in. 
<laughs> Ruggiero Diodato is, uh, or Ruggiero, I'm not quite sure how to pronounce it, uh, known for Cannibal Holocaust, uh, the original Django 1966, and Hostile Part 2. He passed just last year, nearing the end of the year, December 29, 2022, so rest in peace, sir. Uh, trivially, this film took place in Colorado, but was filmed entirely in Italy. Also, no official VHS uh, or DVD or Blu-ray release uh, in the U.S., uh, nothing else informative, really, according to a uh, trivia that I found. Um, the taglines are, uh, well, actually, there's just one. Uh, a spring break vacation turns into a nightmare come alive. And straight to the point, I guess. That Suppose that works. Kind of bland, in my opinion. But uh, in Italy, it is known as Camping del Terrore. Uh, wow. I can't even speak other languages now. Camping del Terrore is, however, I guess you would pronounce it. <laughs> The teenagers, according to Wikipedia, enter an abandoned campsite that was formerly a Indian burial ground and are one by one essentially killed off. Uh, some survive at the end, but just watch it for yourself, and I guess you can give me your opinion via my uh, email if you'd like. Uh, interesting enough, the uh, script was actually changed on set by screenwriter Dardano Sacchetti. In retrospect, the uh, uh, comment on the film is that it's derivative of American slashers of the era, and I can certainly see that. It, it, it's interesting because usually of that era, it's more or less the other way around that you can see uh, American directors trying to uh, copy um, Giallo, but this was basically the opposite. That uh, Italian director uh, Ruggiero um, Diodato was basically uh, mimicking an American slasher, so it was pretty interesting in that regard. Uh, you know, I can agree with that. The film was actually plagued by bad production due to poor weather in the Abruzzo uh, region in Italy. And uh, interesting enough as well, in Denmark, the film is just known as uh, Shaman is how they, I'm assuming that's how they would pronounce it, the way that it's spelled, S-H-A-M-E-N, Shaman or Shaman, whatever. Uh, critical reception in that uh, Luther Smith in his Giallo book stated that the film score by Claudio Simonetti was the feature of the film that everyone seems to applaud. I believe it because the goblin rocks. The goblin rules for real. Like some of the best, you know, next to like Mancini or Manfredini, excuse me. Uh, well, Mancini, obviously, Pink Panther, but Manfredini doing, a, um, you know, the uh, Friday the 13th uh, franchise. Uh, Diodato himself spoke on his own film, stating that it's not bad, but perhaps it was more suited for a Bava, Lamberto, a Mario, or a Lucio Fulci. I can also see that, and I tip my hat to those Giallo greats, and I would like to also include uh, Dario Gento, of course. Uh, what, uh, Luigi Cosi and, you know, Fergazzi, you know, there's just so many great, you know, Italian directors. But, uh, yeah, not necessarily too much on this film. Uh, for those of you uh, horror slasher enthusiasts, yeah, at least watch it once. I mean, visually, like I said, it wasn't really too easy to see um the plot is whatever i mean of course there's like random gratuitous nudity there's even a kind of an homage to in my mind the way that i viewed it um kind of how uh, kevin bacon dies in the first friday the 13th there's like a girl who lays down in bed and gets like a spear through her chest uh from underneath and I, i'm almost certain that that was probably the uh, idea to basically tip uh his hat to um the uh, director of uh, the first uh, friday the 13th um yeah it's it's decent, but there's definitely better slashers. All right, moving on to the next film. All right, next film I'm going to be talking to you guys about is the new Tetris uh, biopic that literally just came out uh, yesterday as of this recording, April 1st. April Fool's, right? Yeah. Ah, oh, that's what I should do. You know what? Since I mentioned it, I'm going to be talking about that movie after this. I love that film, April Fool's Day. But 
as of right now, I'm going to be talking about another film that I fucking love, uh, the new Tetris film. I literally anticipated only watching maybe like a half hour of it because I think I started at like, I don't know, 1130 midnight last night. I was like, eh, it's already kind of late. I couldn't stop watching it. I thought it was incredible, but okay, getting uh, to the IMDb and Wikipedia aspects of it, but uh, labeled it as a biodrama history, which, yeah, I'd, I'd say that's perfect in my opinion because it's exactly that. There's a lot of drama. There's a little bit of comedic aspects here and there as well, and it's historically not necessarily accurate according to Hank Rogers and Alexi, uh, the inventor of uh, Tetris, but I, I will get into that as well. Uh, the story of how one of the world's most popular video games found its way to, uh, excuse me, uh, be played around uh, the globe. Uh, businessman Hank Rogers and Tetris inventor Alexei Pajitnov uh, joined forces in the USSR, risking it all to bring Tetris to the masses. It has a 7.4 out of 5,300 reviews. I'd give it an 8 or an 8.5 because it was excellent. It was really good. Uh, I'm not just saying that because I'm a nerd. I mean, who doesn't like Tetris, right? But I mean, overall, it was just an interesting movie, whether it was fabricated or not. It was just well-written. It was fast-paced. Uh, the coloring, the, uh, actors, the, uh, you know, the whole eighties aspect. I mean, they fucking show the Game Boy for the first time. I mean, you know, in 1989, uh, in Seattle when it's like unveiled, it's like underneath a sheet and they have like, you know, uh, these like electric wiring chips to it. And they're like, this has never been released. You know, you, this is no one's ever seen this before. And then, um, you know, Hank Rogers being the electrical programmer that he was and business entrepreneur, he's, you know, goes to the computer and he programs Tetris into it. And he basically, not necessarily manipulates, but he's like telling them like, Hey, if you guys put Tetris in this as a pack in, when you sell this, you guys are going to sell millions of these. And, you know, obviously that being said, I would like a profit in on this. And what do you guys think? Kind of, you know, I mean, he was just very, well, according to the film, at least just like, whoa, like you're like, whoa, this guy's not only a programmer, but he's a really good businessman too. And then just like seeing the fucking Game Boy for the first time. I mean, even though I'm 34 now and, you know, I had one as a kid, I had the little black and pink, uh, like fanny pack. And I remember I had like Kirby F1 racing in there. Uh, uh, what was that game? Um, chase, uh, HQ, which was like a racing game as a cop, but you had to like, you know, run into cars and pull them over kind of thing. I mean, I had, uh, Mario land. Um, obviously if I didn't already state Tetris, I mean, dude, just the game boy was the game boy's fucking phenomenal, man. I would love to own one. I mean, I already have it pretty much emulated already. I mean, but still I would just, uh, what a cool piece of uh, technical history or anyway, the film stars, uh, Taron Egerton, Egerton. It's probably Egerton. Uh, essentially a Tom Holland lookalike, a little older in my opinion, of course, and no one else more notable within the cast, in my opinion, again, uh, directed by John S. Baird, known for the Stan and Ollie film about Laurel and Hardy, which was also equally a good film in my mind when I saw it, uh, five years ago when it came out in 2018. Nothing else that he's done that I know of or have heard of personally. Uh, trivially, the real Hank and Alexi reviewed the script, uh, stating that it is embellished, uh, in some ways, since, yes, it is Hollywood, a lot never actually happened, as they stated. The writers uh, tried their best to accept their real-life uh, changes and uh, to the script, you know, asking them questions like, oh, did you guys do this? How did you experience this? You know, yada, yada kind of thing. And when they had to deal with authenticity, the car chase was all fake uh, nearing the end of the film. The real two people, Hank and Alexi, couldn't change anything after that, essentially. I mean, they still approved of the script in its ways, but... They said a lot of things were fake, but I mean, overall, I mean, that's kind of what happens. Like, 
I don't expect them to read, you know, Alfred Hitchcock's The Tales of Terror and get everything right. You know, for example, I mean, it's just the way that Hollywood is. They like to embellish things and that's okay. If it's done right and I'm entertained, I'm still okay with it. I still would read the book regardless, you know, but anyway, Tetris, uh, the original game in 1984 was the best selling game from 1993 to 2020 when surpassed by Minecraft in 2009. The now-defunct mobile version of Tetris developed by EA sold over 100 million copies, making it the third best-selling video game after Minecraft and GTA Grand Theft Auto V. Tetris as a whole sold nearly 500 million copies, making it the second best-selling franchise after Mario. That's that's an incredible feat. I would have thought, I mean, other Nintendo IPs, i.e. Uh, Zelda or Metroid or something. But yeah, I mean, Tetris is... That, you know, big, little, small, old, young. I mean, everybody knows Tetris and anybody can play. It's easily accessible to anybody. So, you know, I tip my hat to that. That's incredible. I fucking love Tetris too. I mean, who doesn't? Tetris 99, man, all the way. I even have the weird, uh, like, dual disc set. It's, I think it's like Tetris Worlds and like uh, Star Wars, like the Clone Wars or something on uh, the original Xbox. And then I do have Tetris, I believe, 99 and then Tetris something else on PlayStation 1. I can't remember. But anyway tagline for the film is the game that you can't put down and a story that you couldn't make up which is perfect in my opinion that's enough said that's basically that's the movie in a nutshell it really is uh released uh march 31st basically last night uh 2023 i had to watch it i wasn't disappointed it was filmed in uh, aberdeen scotland as well as glasgow scotland uh being where john s baird i believe is from uh, Wiki states that as a bio thriller, I'd say it's more of a comedy drama. Personally, it's very light on the thriller, uh, in my opinion. Uh, I guess some thriller aspects being uh, when they go and essentially get interrogated by the KGB and so forth. But uh, filming took place in and around uh, the RAF, Royal Air Force military base at Baldado in Perth. Particularly, internal scenes for the quasi-military backdrop uh, for seven days. Filming wrapped March 2021, and there was also reshoots done in 2022. The film was actually planned for release as of last year, but just came out literally yesterday as of this uh, podcast right now. Rotten Tomatoes rates it out of 136, or excuse me, wow, jumped ahead. I could speak English there. Hang on, I'm not giving you guys that one. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes, 81% out of 136 critics, and Metacritic gave it a 61 out of 100, which is low in my opinion. Metacritic had this to say, or not Metacritic, excuse me, um, Rotten Tomatoes had this to say, while it is nowhere near as addictive as fast paced as the game, the film uh, offers a fun, fizzy account of the story behind the 8-bit classic. I'd still say the film was fast paced. To me, it was like, go, go, go. But I mean, everything made sense and it, it all worked, you know, and they even threw in like random little 8-bit pixelations of uh, art here and there. And, you know, whether it was narrated or... Uh, you know, they go to different locations via a plane or a car or even the car chase scene near the end. Like when the cars crash and burn or whatever, they turn into like little like Tetris figures. Like, come on, like, fuck you, Rotten Tomatoes. I mean, <laughs> that was that was awesome. Like, that was cool to see. I, I would have to disagree with that. Even though they gave them like a high score, they still were like, eh, we're too smug about it. And then Metacritic is like, eh, I give it a 61. I'd rather go play Tetris. I mean, the film was fucking cool. Give yourself two hours of your time to watch this film and then go play Tetris the rest of your life. I mean, it was a really good movie. I mean, and I picture myself as a tough critic personally, and I, I loved it. I totally was like, this is going to be whatever. 
I feel like that's probably the best way to go into new movies nowadays, or at least in my opinion, being a fucking old fart fuddy duddy that I am. I, I have to go into movies where I'm like, oh, this is going to suck. Just like the new Mario Mo. Wow. Okay. Couldn't speak English there. There's your second one. <sighs> Fuck. <laughs> I'm going to go see the new Mario movie when it comes out in the middle of this week. And I'm going to go into it being like, oh, this is going to be a Minions fucking knockoff. And if they throw Minions into it, sure, fine, whatever. I mean, they're not in the Mario realm, but I, I would still kind of hope that they make some sort of homage to like Bob Hoskins and John Leguizamo or uh, Dennis Hopper, despite John Leguizamo being kind of a nutcase nowadays. Shout out to Spun. That movie is cool. And then obviously the Violator Spawn. But OK, anyway, I'm going off on a tangent here because I'm a movie nutcase and I love this stuff. But uh, yes, Tetris, the game and the film. Excellent. The film was really, really good. Go watch it. It's on Apple TV. I'm sure for those of you guys. If you don't have Apple TV, you can probably find other ways to stream it. But anyway, moving on. All right. Well, since I mentioned it and since it is uh, this day, uh, April Fool's Day, 1986, an hour and 29 minutes, labeled as Horror Mystery. Uh, I picked this up, I don't know, a few years ago, probably at uh, Pasadena City College um, or perhaps some sort of like hole-in-the-wall thrift store. Um, I, I tended to get a lot of uh, Pasadena City College horror films, like Super Cheap, that, and a lot of uh, Ghibli films on a DVD Super Cheap. But it's a dual disc with uh, this and My Bloody Valentine. It's Both are great. But I'm talking about this film since I mentioned it. And I absolutely love this film. Uh, it's about nine college students staying at <clears throat> a uh, friend's um, remote island mansion beginning to... Uh, fall victim to an unseen uh, murderer or murder, excuse me, uh, on April fool's day weekend, but nothing is as it seems according to, uh, IMDb. Uh, last time I watched this was a couple years ago with my buddy Andy, uh, at, you know, after work, uh, on my dual disc set that I stated, uh, both are phenomenal horror, uh, slashers in my mind. Uh, my bloody Valentine's definitely more bloody and gory compared to this film, but this film is also great in its own right. Uh, they're both a force to be reckoned with, in my opinion. This film has a 6.1 out of 17,000 reviews on IMDb. I'd give it at least a 7 because it's an excellent slasher film with next to no gore, decent acting, a good plot, and a good plot twist with an excellent twist ending. Directed by Fred Walton, who also did the original When a Stranger Calls 1979. Uh, trivially, while the crew was... Uh, <clears throat> excuse me... Um, basically trying to uh, create a rap report before the film. Uh, uh, fuck. No, excuse me. Wow. No editing here. I'm just going to keep going. So while the crew was actually in the middle of a scene, Deborah Goodrich, uh, I, what I was about to say, I'll, I'll explain in a minute. Jesus, I just jumped ahead of myself. I could speak English. I just jumped ahead of myself. My brain was too much ADD going on. Uh, Deborah Goodrich began reading, reading a cosmopolitan questionnaire to the co-stars, eliciting a conversation uh, that caught the attention of the director, Fred Walton. After a few days, Walton handed Goodrich the magazine back and a new set of questions and questionnaires, asking the actresses to improvise a scene, which ended up in the final cut. That's all I was trying to say. Jeez, just kind of interesting nonetheless. Due to the film being light in violence, it received a frequent TV airtime where it gained a cult status because there was next to no violence, next to no gore, and next to no uh, nudity, as I stated. The cast also assembled, this is what I was trying to say initially, the cast assembled in Vancouver in a hotel prior to filming and hung out to hone in on their characters to make uh, friendships actually believable on screen. That's all I was trying to say. 
like I said, I jumped ahead. Uh, also, interesting enough, big surprise, more like go figure, of course, hear me out. Linnea Quigley was actually cast uh, as Muffy, but she turned it down due to scheduling for Return of the Living Dead in 1985. Send more cops. God, man, Return of the Living Dead is great. Part one and part two. Part three, really cool cover art with like the needles for hands, but that movie, uh, maybe I need to rewatch it. It's just, from what I remember, it wasn't that great. Also, Return of the Living Dead is decent part two i don't really remember that one but return the living dead part one with the tar man the music when they spill over the toxic return the living dead part one is fucking phenomenal i i personally feel like that that's better than night of the living dead i mean granted night of the living dead yes it's great even the remake in the 90s was also good yes they are both good but i'm more partial to return the living dead i just i think i just love that horror comedy aspect I don't know, dude, the practical effect. Anyway, talking about April Fool's, but Return of the Living Dead is fucking great. Uh, lastly, uh, as of 1986, this is one of the three horror films that took place on April Fool's Day. Others being Killer Party, which has a really cool cover art as well, which I don't think I've seen. Slaughter High, which I have seen. And that one's cool. It looks like some jester-looking guy with like bells on his head and a weird creepy clown mask-type jester mask thing that goes around killing people in high school. Go figure, right? Uh, this film released March 28th, filmed in British Columbia and LA, respectively, a budget of $5 million, grossing 12.9, basically $13 million. I'd say it was a success and it's, it's really cool. I, I really enjoyed this film. Wiki states that it is a black comedy mystery slasher. Well said, uh, in my opinion, critically received, uh, various, uh, responses from critics, some commending it for non-gratuitous violence and nudity and a plot twist. Others lambasted it for uh, the surprise ending. Amy Steele was cast as Kit uh, after appearing in Friday the 13th Part 2, 1981, and Deborah Foreman, who uh, at the time was in Valley Girl with Nicolas Cage. She was also cast in this film. The film took six weeks to complete overall post-production an additional film, or excuse me, an additional final, well, okay, there it is. I guess I couldn't fucking speak English. There's your third one. An additional final sequence in the film presents an original cut having the group uh, leaving the island and Skip, one of the characters in the film, enacting an actual murder of Muffy, uh, wanting the family inheritance to himself. Paramount executives disliked this dark turn, mandating that the final sequence be taken out so it can end uh, the film on a high note, with characters celebrating after the reveal of uh, Muffy's prank. Shout out to Santa Clarita Valley, SoCal, California, because hear me out. Uh, Santa Clarita Signal, um, Jeff uh, Retveld at the time uh, praised the film as a slasher for people who don't like slashers, also commending the action and direction. I've never seen anything, whether it be Wikipedia, IMDb, anything about where I grew up, uh, the magazine that we had uh, growing up, The Signal, talking about any slashers. So that's pretty damn cool. I mean, the fact is, it sounds like he's not really too thrilled with slashers. But I mean, it's such a niche audience. Like, I, I don't know. I, I feel like a lot of people who like horror are just goofy people. And yes, I am kind of a nerd. I'm goofy. But I mean, I do enjoy good films, too. And I'm about to talk to I mean, I obviously talked to you guys about Tetris. That's a newer film. That's great. I'm about to talk to you guys about another film that's coming up here. That's also equally as great. You know, it's not I don't watch just crap. But yes, I enjoy watching mostly just crap but anyway and i had to throw it in there for good measure rotten tomatoes 55 percent at 5.4 out of 10 once again fuck you rotten tomatoes that's why the name of your company is rotten because you guys are rotten 
Oh boy. Yes. April fools is great. A really cool plot twist at the end. Uh, like I said, next to no, um, really like blood or gore, just really good writing. It was, uh, like a mystery slasher thriller at the time that kind of like went under the radar. I think in my opinion, I always remembered the cover art with, you know, the young girl and like that pinkish kind of off white pink, uh, dress with like the noose, uh, for her, uh, ponytail and like the knife on the back i was always like man i'm gonna rent that when i get older and then obviously i found it later on on dvd with a dual disc set and i was like yeah i'm buying that and i'm glad i watched it i'll re-watch it again and again it's great go watch this film uh, april fool's day 1986 all right moving on to the next film what's up guys i'm gonna be talking to you guys now about good old classic creature feature at least that's what i would want to call it otherwise on imdb it's like action adventure you know family but to me i've always viewed godzilla as some sort of a creature feature granted yeah it has a lot of action involved but anyway godzilla versus megalon basically versus gigan and allied jet jaguar in uh kanji known as gojira tai megaro creature feature in my mind in all its glory, 1973, an hour and 18 minutes, rated G. Now, there's a little uh, scantily clad uh, mention a little later on for it being rated G for the time. I will get to that. Uh, the plot is as follows. An inventor creates a humanoid robot, basically a cyborg, named Jet Jaguar that you can tell is entirely made of foam. And he has pretty much the Green Goblin, well, I guess Green Goblin basically mimicked this helmet uh granted it's silver it's not green but if you watch the film you'll you'll see what i mean i think it's because of that like cone kind of shape on the back of its head to make it a little more aerodynamic but anyway uh named jet jaguar that is seized by the undersea nation of Seatopia. using jet jaguar as a guide the Seatopians send megalon uh, excuse me as vengeance for the nuclear tests that have devastated their society, Megalon basically burrows itself back underground towards the end, and Gigan flies away. Meanwhile, Jet Jaguar shrinks back to normal size from his Megazord size. Shout out to Power Rangers, as always. And Godzilla uh, shakes his hand. <laughs> so a giant lizard shakes a you know humanoid robot's hand, and then he basically walks off and swims back to Monster Island. Uh, IMDb gives it a 4.8 out of a, it's like 62,086. I, or not 62,000. I'm sorry. Uh, 6,286. I rounded, I said 6,300 reviews. I rounded up trivially some interesting stuff here, uh, ignored in Japan, but in the States it's regarded as one of the main reasons why the franchise has become misunderstood with the Ultraman entry because he basically looks like Ultraman. Uh, cinema shares, a company built an ad campaign, shortening the film to 40 minutes to permit, uh, it to be premiered on NBC. VHS release was uh, mistaken as public domain, making it accessible and adding to the notoriety in U.S. despite disdain from fans. So it kind of has a weird, I guess, history about it. But uh, there's a little more trivia here for you. Uh, it's the only Godzilla uh, entry to lack female characters other than women shown uh, wearing scantily clad outfits who were Seatopian dancers. You only you see them for like less than five minutes. Uh, also. Uh, female nudity is actually very, very briefly shown uh, in a G film. Uh, there are centerfolds in the kidnapper's uh, truck who picks up the little boy in the uh, film, and eh, maybe about a quarter to way through or so. Uh, they are Playboy playmates. There are two of them uh, from years 69 through 72, respectively. 
Megalon's ray beam is actually animated. It's the same as Ghidorah's gravity beam um, to ensure stock footage could be interspliced between filming uh, films. Pretty interesting. Got a little more. <sighs> the child who submitted Jet Jaguar's designs actually cried inconsolably. Inconsolably. Wow, fuck it. I guess I can't speak English again. I already lost count of how many times I've done that this episode. But if you guys are listening, you can keep track and email me the number. That's fine. <laughs> When uh, he saw the changes made, the child, uh, the final design was actually obnoxious and uh, foam made to look ridiculous on purpose. Uh, so whatever. Uh, the film was also part of the uh, Criterion Collection Spine Number 1000. That's actually pretty cool. Uh, it's also one of three mainline Godzilla films to feature a child protagonist as well. Lastly, the uh, retired Florida wrestler Brian Burnick used the name Jet Jaguar. So shout out to wrestling. There you go, Austin James. You get your one. Released April 1976, having despite been filmed in 72-73, respectively. According to IMDb, the budget was estimated at 760000 According to Wiki, it is the 13th film within the franchise, grossing $20 million uh, from a Wiki budget of $1.2 million. So that's... Uh, pretty good a uh, difference of three hundred thousand dollars or so wow whatever the film also received recognition from an episode of mystery science theater 3000 in 1991 in the not too distant future shout out to that show classic followed up film was uh godzilla vs mecha godzilla in 1974 the boy's design uh for jet jaguar was actually white but the costume was colored red and blue and yellow in the film looking pretty much like hot dog on a stick made of foam meets like the green goblin uh costume that sam raimi conducted essentially just picture it not green just red blue and white and he works a hot dog on a stick and fights giant lizards <laughs> yeah <laughs> next episode all right see you guys later no i'm just kidding all right let me finish this the original name uh for the character instead of jet jaguar was red arone for that particular character. The film was actually a replacement project for another film that was canceled last minute, and evidence suggests that the title was going to be Godzilla vs. Red Moon. The suit for Godzilla in this film was actually made in a week, making it the fastest made uh, costume to date within the franchise. Pretty dang cool. The Megalon suit was one of the heaviest made since 1954 with the original uh, installment, uh, Gojira. Shot in winter, they actually drank whiskey to keep warm on set. Uh, and the film was actually also shot in three weeks overall, utilizing stock footage from other classics within the franchise, uh, Mothra, Ghidorah, Hedora, and Gigan, uh, 1966 to 1972, respectively. Uh, no Rotten Tomatoes this time around, so bleh. <laughs> or at least that I can find. I found like New York Times and Variety, but I always like to hear what Rotten Tomatoes has to say, because to me that's a little more relevant, and so is IMDb. But uh, 4.8, eh, I'd probably... I always I feel like I always go with this score. Whenever I hear anything like below a five, I'm like, I'll give it a five, five point two, because it's decent. I mean, I think that that's fair. And it was it was good in its own right. I've definitely watched better, but you know, it was it was cool. I would suggest going and watching it. It has uh ads, it's free on YouTube. Go watch it. Godzilla versus Megalon nineteen seventy three and seventy six in the States is when it came out. There it is. There you have it. As always, everybody, thank you for listening. Thank you for the support. It's, it's a lot of fun talking about toys, video games, music, anime, whatever. I'll catch you guys next time. Thank you.